Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Ball Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Chris LaSpada. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast today, which is going to be with accountant extraordinaire Chris LaSpada. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Jeff. Today we're going to talk about end-of-year tax planning, which is everybody's favorite and least favorite subject about this time of the year. So I'll just start by asking the first question. Chris, given the option, do you take income this year or next year, and why? It's a good question, especially this time of year. We do spend a lot of our time going over projections for businesses and individuals and trying to come up with strategies and you know this is this is one of them basically the answer to this as to most questions in tax are it depends and the reason i say that is we have to look at many factors to determine how to make the decision so for example if you are in the highest bracket this year because of your business income capital gain income, any unusual circumstance that might push you to the highest bracket, and you do have a small business or a business, you might want to try to defer income because you're in the highest bracket that year. So a lot of it's just driven by where you're normally at, where you think you're going to be at next year. So if next year, the same thing, if next year, you're thinking that you're going to be in the highest bracket because of a transaction that's going to happen in 2017, you would want to accelerate the income in 16 to the extent that, you know, you're able to get taxed at that lower rate. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you know, another thing that comes up, and this only comes up through my experience, and you've probably seen it too in your practice, is when, politics comes in when somebody's promising but not hasn't voted on a tax cut yet and you're trying to make that decision do you do you believe them and 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 push income into the year you think the tax cuts going to go into effect or not i remember when reagan got his voter on and everybody knew that starting january of the next year those incredibly cut taxes were going to go in Everybody was moving things into that year. But now you've got something where they're talking a good game, but do you believe them? And that's where I think the taxpayer just uh, throws the dice, takes their chances, and does it or doesn't do it. Is that the way you look at it, too? Uh, Sure. Uh, The other perspective is dealing what we – our situation now is I'm not sure – any change will happen in 2017. Sometimes you, it takes a longer than expected for some of this change to to happen. So I would not be surprised if 2017 we didn't see any changes in some of the tax promises during the election. The other thing that's a good example is a couple years ago, there's a Section 179 deduction that companies look at. Basically, they can fully depreciate equipment in the year that it's purchased and not have to write it off over its useful life. Well, the tax law was not extended the one year, and for the whole year, we were under the, under the, you know, the rules the way they currently were stated was the Section 179 was only going to be $25,000. 
even though it was, I think it was 500000 at the time for the previous year. And we just expected Congress to extend that to that year. And I think we ended up waiting until December 22nd. It was like one of the last things that happened that they extended the Section 179 to 500000 Well, during that period leading up to it, a lot of our clients, you know, through through our discussions, we basically made the decision that we just expected Congress to extend this, and they made plans to go ahead and buy the equipment. But some companies can't just go out and buy the equipment within a seven-day period because it has to be bought and placed in use by the end of the year. So companies made decisions based off what they thought was going to happen, and luckily we were right that they went ahead and did extend that. But that that does happen. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, you put yourself when you're you're planning for, say, next year to have a tax cut, you're relying on politicians for heaven's sakes. Right. Man, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure that's the way to go. It's it's a tough call for some people because I I personally know people and for every person I know, you probably know 20 whose business has grown to the point where maybe next year it looks like it's going to be their breakout year as far as revenue. And if that's the case, there's there's different things that you would have them do if there's a tax cut versus not having one for the year. It's it's a real rock and a hard place thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's sometimes it's you got to just look into the crystal ball, or sometimes you have to just trust your belief in how government will work, which is probably laughable at this point to some people, and you know, just make the best decision you can with the information you have. Amen, brother. Let's uh, let's move over to something else. Uh, would you go into the mechanics, please, of of how a taxpayer can take advantage of either getting a tax cut or a newly acquired tax shelter and relating it to taking more exemptions at work to take advantage of that into their take-home paycheck? Yeah, what, what we see a lot of times is a taxpayer, when we prepare someone's return, if they're getting a large refund, they think that we did a great job, and that's not exactly true because we will analyze their return to see why they got a large refund. Like what happened? Because our position would be it's best if a taxpayer probably just owes a little bit of money that's outside of penalty because what that allows them to do is that allows them to get all their money up front and not have to wait, you know, for would be almost over a year to get their money. So there are situations where a taxpayer will want to put let's just say solar panels on their home and they'll ask us what what's the tax credit on that and it's like well it's thirty percent. So what they may do is sometimes they may wait, not change anything, wait till the end of the year and then get a larger refund than normal, or they might go in and change their exemptions for their take home pay so they get more money during the year and less of a refund at the end so they don't have to wait on their money. Now they have to remember to go back and change their exemptions in the following year. But, you know, we're we're always advising clients to try to get as much of their money up front as possible. How much is each exemption worth these days? I think it goes up a little bit, but like a if you're talking about a personal exemption on a – see that 
there's a, there's an exemption on the tax return, which is about $4,000 per person. That would include the taxpayer spouse and anyone that's eligible to be claimed. But the other exemption that you could be referring to is what goes on the W-4 form. You know, should I withhold married zero, married one, single zero, single one? And basically, all that is is just based off of your your income through your you know through your work, based off of that status. So it doesn't always guarantee that if you're filing married zero and you don't have any exemption, that doesn't mean that you're not going to owe money at the end of the year because that's only looking at one person. It doesn't take into account the fact that my spouse could be making a lot more than me because as a joint couple, we're in that bracket together. So sometimes those exemptions that you're claiming on your W-4 may not be enough because you're not looking at it based off of your whole tax situation. W-4s and exemptions that you're claiming are only looking at that portion of income. You know, you bring up a really excellent point, Chris, because if all of a sudden you're You've gone from basically breaking even on April 15th. You either get 100 back or you owe 100, something like that, versus all of a sudden you've got a, a $15,000 tax shelter. I take it at that point you go to human resources, and what would you tell them at that point? And you would also use, I would assume, if both spouses are working, the spouse at the higher tax bracket, right? Well, each, well, when you're filing married joint, you're in the same tax bracket. So... If ah, if right, I make fifty thousand right. and my spouse makes four hundred thousand, we're we're in the thirty nine point six percent bracket. So that's that's kind of a one of those things that I think escapes some people, you know, when they're trying to plan out, you know, what the claim on their W four for their withholdings at work. So if they had say fifteen thousand and they were kind of breaking even what number of exemptions uh, at in the scenario you just painted where they're at 39.6, how many new exemptions would you ask them to go and get? Well, the most you can do is actually eight exemptions before you have to have documentation. So if someone comes in and I'm an employer and they give me a, a W-4 that says they're exempt, from taxes, you know, it's part of my responsibility to get some sort of documentation or statement from them understanding the exempt rules. Now, if that doesn't happen and they just want to claim single eight or married eight, they typically can do that without the employer having any further responsibility. Once someone goes to nine exemptions, the employer, I think, may have to forward that information to the IRS. And, you know, the IRS obviously has an interest in that because they would be concerned that somebody is having less tax withheld during the year is going to owe money. And then, obviously, when you don't pay the IRS right away, there's always a danger of that debt becoming bad debt eventually. Now, Kind of on the same subject, but moving uh, a little sideways on it, I've got a lot of my kids' friends and my son getting engaged. And they can they can get married this year. They can get married next year. And none of them are thinking about the tax 
part of it. And for most of them, it's probably not going to matter. But have you run into decisions like that for your clients where getting married in one year or another made a difference? Sure, because if you're married on December 31st, you're considered married for the whole year. So it's not a I file single up until this point. Now, if you file, if you marry before the end of the year, you know, you, you either can file married, filing separate, or married, filing joint. I've had had a situation where I had a couple who was married, both high-income earners. They came to us and asked us to run a projection as married joint and as if they both were single. And it came out that filing both as single, well, actually one was head of household and they claimed the child, by filing them as single and head of household as compared to married joint, as a unit, they were paying slightly less tax. So they decided, hmm. based off of this information, to get a divorce. So they actually, they didn't break up, but they got a divorce because of tax purposes. So they they decided to get divorced and go through that, go through the process so they one could file single and one could file head of household. So that's the most unusual circumstance I've run across, but the, the, the more normal circumstances is what you described is, you know, should we get married this year or next year? And a lot of that sometimes depends on which each person is earning. So if someone's a high-income earner and someone's a low-income earner, you may not want to get married. You might want to wait till the next year to give that low-income earner another year in the lower tax bracket. Or you might see decisions made where they don't marry at all because of that. So it does happen. What's the most common mistake made doing end-of-year income tax and income timing decisions? Usually, if we're talking like on an individual level, the, the common mistake is, you know, should I pay my state income tax estimate before the end of the year? so I can deduct it on my federal, or should I wait till the following year? And the reason sometimes that could be a mistake is if a client is already subject to AMT, they don't receive any federal benefit from paying the state estimate in December, but they may receive a benefit if they paid it the next year from a federal perspective, because one year you could be subject to AMT, and one year you, you may not be subject to AMT. Uh, sometimes you have to look at where someone might not maximize their 401k contribution. They get a large bonus or they have more earned income than expected, and they made the mistake of not deferring the maximum amount before the end of the year because they can't do anything about it once January 1st hits. So that's probably the most common mistake is the taxpayer not taking advantage of some tax-deferred options before the end of the year. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. Man, this has been enlightening. Thanks a lot, Chris. Listeners, we're looking forward to informing you of more exciting tax events next year. Catch you later. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Chris LaSpada.